Hey Swifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is the Zwiftcast. Coming up on this episode, Eric Min lets the cat out of the bag on the Zwift Men's Academy. We're at the launch of the Women's Academy. Shane and I dissect the London extension and Nathan is in Iceland. Hello and welcome to a packed edition of the Swiftcast. I am going to be joined by Shane and Nathan. Shane by some kind of powerful magic both in Melbourne and in London. And Nathan up close and personal with the Arctic Circle in Iceland where he's competing with a Zwift team in a gruelling race. It's the WOW Cyclothon. Teams of nine are racing in a relay format and they'll circumnavigate the whole island of Iceland with a fair wind and some bandwidth. And when he's not doing a shift in the team, I'm hoping to get a few check-ins with Nathan later. But let's start in London, where Zwift Academy 2 has been launched, and I'll have a full report on that shortly. First, though, at the launch event, I was just winding up an interview with Zwift CEO Eric Min about the Academy when he dropped a minor bombshell. just early days. We're, we're tweaking the programme, and uh, we certainly need to dial it in before we introduce a men's programme. Before we introduce a men's programme? Yes. You're not surely going to expect that I'm not going to ask you to say <laughs> just a little bit more about that, having dangled the carrot. That is actually fairly big news. So I did press Eric a little bit. And to be honest, there's not a great deal to say. But what he did say is right here. Let's just say that we're working on it. And um, knock on wood, if things work out, then it could be as early as this year that we announce the programme. But I think um, I would be surprised if we don't announce something by, by next year. And that's why it was really important for us to get the uh, Zwift Academy for the ladies, um, serve that as a pilot, learn as much as possible, and then figure out how that would work for, for a men's program, which, again, if you look at Zwift's demographic, that's 90% of our community. So uh, I think it could be a massive uh, program for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're not going to tell me, but I am going to ask you. Um, partnership with a, with a pro team, one would expect it might be one of the more forward-thinking teams, perhaps ones that use the most modern training methods like, <laughs> oh, I don't know, Team Sky? No, well, I, I will tell you that we are speaking to a few, and we have been for, for a number of years. And what's held us back is just really about timing. Um, and I think there is an opportunity in the future where all teams, all World Tour teams could participate in this. Why not? And why not even think of it like as a draft system, right? Where the strongest team gets the weakest player and it just goes, and the weakest team gets the strongest player. It's a, uh, so it's an interesting, I, I think Zwift could serve a similar purpose. Um, that's just my own thinking. 
absolutely intriguing prospect. I mean, really, really intriguing prospect. Well, Shane, intriguing is one word. Ambitious would be another. I mean, we'll, we'll get to the men's academy in a minute, which I do think I share Eric's view will be an absolutely massive programme for them when they launch it. But this kind of blue sky thinking of, of his, I mean, you've got to admire the guy. He He's incredibly ambitious, isn't he? I mean, can can Zwift really change the way that, that, that World Tour teams recruit cyclists and not only change the way that they do it, but introduce a draft system like we see in American sports? I mean, it's... It's a hell of an idea. Oh, I'll have to take my hat off for him for the idea for sure. But uh, the feasibility of it, I'm oh, I'm I'm really skeptical on this one. I really am because elite level sport, especially at that level in the men's competition, it's not about what's per kilo. I mean, you get in a sprint train, it's about elbows. It's about using your head. It's about everything that's not in Zwift, unfortunately, at the moment. Look for talent ID, sure, but again, there's just so much more to racing, and at that level. There's only very, very few people who ever make it in that level in the world. Um... Eric acknowledges, anybody who knows anything about cycling acknowledges that, you know, uh, the word we generally use is the polite word. It's a traditional sport. Um, You know, some people might use a less polite word like hideously old fashioned and stuck in the mud. And, and, you know, Eric obviously has got an agenda to try and and, and change that. Of course he does, because he comes from a digital business. but 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 trying to introduce a draft system, you know, I, I can't see many World Tour teams signing up to it, even if they do this, like 20 of them. I mean, they can barely agree on a, how many safety pins are used to pin on the numbers on the back of the jerseys, <laughs> let alone revolutionising the whole way that cyclists are brought into, into World Tour teams. But, you know, that said... I do admire Eric's ambition and the way he introduces novel ideas to cycling and and, and the idea of kind of just revolutionising and actually just giving the sport a kick up the ass from time to time. I, I, I do admire that in him. Uh, the sport definitely needs to kick up the ass for sure. I think we all can all agree on that. <laughs> um, getting back to, to the men's programme, and he was understandably vague about when it might come, but sometime in the next year, that's going to be huge, isn't it? Look, promotion-wise, absolutely. If you're the first to the table with a new idea and, and something like that, which which can work. Look, I, I think oh, I'm still skeptical. Will it work? Will it get somebody in the pro peloton and be you know competitive and be able to contribute? I'm not sure. But will it get noticed? Absolutely. And in this day and age, it's about getting noticed and uh, yeah, being there first to the table with a new idea. I don't want this new news about the men's. Um, program or the incipient men's program to overshadow the, the women's news, which is really big, and we've got a, a big feature on that coming up in a second. But it's a chance to live the dream, though, Shane. You know, people, regardless of how risky the scheme is, and regardless of how well it would be adopted by teams, the entrants are going to number in the thousands surely yeah that's going to be the hard one for uh, i mean we see the numbers on zwift what is it about 11 percent, 8 percent women and the, the rest are guys um i mean and that sort of echoes what we see across the world on bikes in the competitive sense as well it's going to be a task and a half just to manage that for sure um be really interesting to watch it be really interesting indeed. to watch and just finally on this uh, i'll put you on the spot if you had to guess one of the World Tour teams which may be interested in taking part in Eric's vision at the early stages, who do you think it might be? I mean, you know, the obvious candidate is kind of Sky, I guess, because they do novelty and they do modernity. But um, but they're a highly commercial organisation as well. Which which team would you put your money on? 
Oh, that's a tough one. I'd go left field. I'd go a traditional team that hasn't done anything, I guess, out of the ordinary uh, in the last few years. Let's go with – let's go Lotto Jumbo. Let's let's just choose those guys. Why not? Because, I mean, something like um, Team Dimension Data, you know, they're at the cutting edge of data all the time. They're, you'd expect those to be on board. Team Sky, as you said, but these other teams will be looking at what those, you know, high-achieving teams are doing and going, well, what can we do different? What can we do better? And, again, maybe not about results. It's about recognition. And at the end of the day, having your brand up there pays the bills for these guys. So I think a more traditional uh, team that we may not even think would be on board for this will come on board. A lot of jumbo. Yeah, yeah. Well, it could be a good call that because you know because whoever goes in with with Swift for the first time, they are guaranteed on. I would imagine a ton of publicity, and cycling teams need publicity. So that's what keeps the wheel the the wheels turning. So uh, yeah, really interesting one. Anyway, we really shouldn't overshadow the launch of the Women's Academy. So let's get to that feature. And by the magic of podcasting, Shane Miller, we will transport you from your current location in Melbourne, uh, halfway across the world, to London. So, Shane, um, we go an entire year and then we meet twice in just over a week. Where are we, Shane, and what are we doing? We're here at the uh, Rafa Cycling Club here in London. We're near Piccadilly. There's a lot of beers, there's a lot of almond milk, and there's a lot of uh, people not eating animals. And we're here for the Canyon SRAM Professional Women's Cycling Team, uh, Zwift Academy 2017 press release slash launch. The place is kind of overflowing with them Zwift execs. There's a number of orange shirts here. There's at least six here tonight. So very well represented here from the, uh, the Zwift team too, yeah. September is when we are officially opening for the competition. That was Zwift CEO Eric Min announcing that the competition will begin in earnest in September. Also there was Kate Verano, the head of women's strategy for Zwift. And we've just completed the formalities for the Zwift Academy to launch. Do you feel that the Academy has now established itself as kind of just a part of women's cycling? Absolutely. Um, I felt that I went to the Tour of California this year and we had a promotion going on with Zwift Academy and uh, in previous years of going to the race, I was kind of chasing people down and this year everybody wanted to talk to me. All the major, major teams were there. It was a, it was the buzz. Everybody wanted to talk about it. I feel like we're part of the big conversation right now. That must be very, very gratifying to see. Ridiculous, yeah. After the first year, like kind of, there were so many doubts. There was a lot of there was a lot of public doubts. There was honestly some internal doubts, and to see it uh, take off like it has, and you know, not only provide this you know alternative pathway to pro ranks, but also just to inspire a huge international you know cycling community is uh, really exciting and something I think we can be proud of as Swift. Okay, well, uh, I have managed to grab a little time with Eric Min. It's a soft question, this, really, but, but I think it's one worth asking. I think Zwift Academy was probably quite a tough thing for Zwift to do, and, and, and it clearly takes up a great deal of resource chasing a minority demographic, and it was launched in the face of not hostility, but certainly indifference from the press and media in its, in its very early days. Are you proud of what it's become? I think so. I mean, it's early days. It's we've only done gone through one. We're not even done with really one season. Leah's only halfway through her season. So I I think this program could last uh, can go on for a decade. You know, last year we had 1,200 contestants. 
this year I believe that we will have 5,000 and I won't be completely satisfied in, until we've, we have 100,000 contestants. And so just imagine, it's just a numbers game at that point. You will find not one, many incredible athletes who could become, I think, a professional cyclist. So let's get on to talking about the scheme itself in detail with Kate Verano. Now there's going to be some changes to the programme this year. We've actually discussed them on our Swiftcast Women's Special podcast, which if people haven't listened to it, I, I urge them to do so. You, you're going to make the workouts harder and the time period is going to be telescoped downwards a little bit. So, you know, if you had to describe Swift Academy 2 in, uh, in a couple of words, it's probably much harder. Is that, do you think, running the risk of narrowing participation? Yeah, I actually beg to differ on that. I don't think it's going to be harder. In fact, if anything, um, we made it at a more uh, amenable time frame. So not in the um, northern hemisphere summer, not during the race season. Um, This is a time where we're hoping that more women can fit these workouts into their schedule where, yeah, the workouts will be hard, as hard as you make them. An FTP test is as hard as you make it. Um, But our goal is to have more women graduate the academy. So the idea was to make it approximately two workouts a week, two to three workouts a week, um, and you can finish the academy in six weeks. We think that this format is actually going to have more participants and more graduates. Zwift exec Mike McCarthy is part of the Coaching Brains Trust behind the development of the individual workouts in the program. He thinks that we're going to see a different type of rider come out the other end this time. I think the, the one thing that, that we're going to do this year is, is look at uh, a little bit more breadth in terms of skill set. Last year we were really focused on, on, uh, on, on threshold and, and looking at, at watts per kilo sustained, you know, at, at, at threshold. I'm not sure that we'll come out with the same, the same rider this year. I think it's going to be a, a much, much more broad in terms of, of, of how we evaluate riders. So there'll be a lot of peak power workouts, um, a lot of shorter duration intervals, um, and then also some intervals that will definitely stress the, the, the threshold power. The role of Zwift Academy has always been twofold. Obviously, it's great for the platform to produce a pro rider. But also, it does the job of increasing the visibility and engagement of the women's community in Zwift. I asked Kate which of the two she thought was most important. Truthfully, uh, if you ask me, it's probably to inspire a global community of women cyclists. Um, Yeah, you know what? Like from the uh, PR perspective and for the media, to find somebody that is going to be, you know, the next Evie Stevens or somebody that's just going to take the... Uh, the pro scene by storm would be awesome. But if we reach thousands of women that all see measurable goals and, and they do their first century, their first fondo, they hang in the local group ride. I mean, I just got goosebumps now talking about it. I think that that means more. Right on. Swift Academy 2 starts in September, but it's already open for pre-registration. You can find out more at academy.zwift.com. So via mobile phone to somewhere in Iceland, come in Nathan Guerra. 
Hey, how's it going, Simon? Somewhere in Iceland. I'm at uh, CCP headquarters right now. Um, so listen, just for people who may not be aware of what you're about to do, you're about to embark on one hell of a race. 1,350 kilometres, which in old money is something like 880 miles around the perimeter of Iceland in a joint team with Zwift, uh, so a couple of Zwift execs, Mike McCarthy and Charlie Eisendorf, uh, yourself and some team members from CCP. Um, Nathan, nervous? A little nervous. Um, uh, yesterday and the day before, looking at the weather, that was the main thing. But the main thing was about being cold. That's what I was thinking about. Was like, how cold am I going to be um, in Iceland? But uh, the weather seems to be fixing. It was uh, it was pretty bad yesterday. The winds were up into, I think, the 40 miles per hour at times and nothing but rain and, and sleet. But now uh, it's gotten nicer. Just, just gives a bit of an insight into the conditions you're going to be facing. I mean... Um, today is the longest day in the Northern Hemisphere, so I'm assuming you're going to have a whole load of light. Um, but what? I mean, how? What? What temperature is it at the moment? So I think right now we're somewhere around. I think we're somewhere in the 40s right now. It was like 35 degrees this morning. Uh, so a little over, I think, one or two C, if that's right. And we might hit the 50s at some point today. Maybe not though. Um, and we start at 7 p.m. Icelandic time. And this, uh, this j- just to set the scene for people who don't know this race, it's called the Wow Cyclothon. And I think the, the winning time last year was something around 35 hours. And that's, that's a team of nine. And as I understand it, it's a team of nine. But as long as you've got one racer on the road at any one time, you're, you're OK. Can you give us some insight into the type of tactics that the team's going to be deploying? Uh, you start off, though, I think, with like three or four because you can't make any swaps for a while. So you put kind of your stronger riders up front. And then there's some checkpoints a little ways out where you can start swapping. So and that's the first decision-making that sounds like it's made in the first um, 100 to 200 of who's going to kind of be with, you know, for the, for the lead teams. Uh, from there, um, you start using your resources as smart as possible, it seems like, and uh, keeping the pace as high as you can, uh, following attacks and moves um, as much as you can. Uh, the way that we're going to be kind of doing it is uh, everyone's going to be taking um, 20 to 30 minutes in a group of uh, three, having one, I think, hour at a time from those groups of three within the team. So um, that's what we're looking at. Everybody, I mean, this is all kind of, you know. Theoretical, yeah. <laughs> get why, yeah, it's all theoretical, exactly. When you're on the road, because it's a shorter... 20 to 30 minute effort I'm looking at the Watopia mountain over and over again <laughs> you know what I mean so yeah it sounds like you're just going to go like hell recover and kind of rin- rinse and repeat really yeah yeah so uh, you know in some ways not dissimilar to a, Z- a Zwift race in that everybody goes like crazy out of the gate uh, and then the thing settle, settles down into a number of groups and it gets slightly more tactical. Except for the, except for the gate is about 200k. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, 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 that first bit lasts just a little bit longer. From everything I've heard, kind of both formally and informally, um, Zwift want to win this? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, a lot of the conversation so far has had that word, win. Um, yeah, there's definitely uh, a goal in mind here to not let the brakes go, you know, because... Uh, we came in and there was a lot of talk of be smart and be safe and everybody keep it upright and reserved. But at the same time, there was also a lot of talk of like being smart about where you're placed in the pack and being smart about not letting things go at certain times. So, you know, there's definitely 
some pretty strong uh, people amongst the team, though, too. Yeah, listen, Nathan, just before I let you go, because I know you're just about to get into the team car and, and head towards the start. Um, just one thing, dude. Uh, those um, kits, the Zebra or Zebra, as our American friends would say, um, talk, <laughs> t- talk to me about that, Nathan. Uh, well, I had nothing to do with it. I mean, I, we opened up our kits and I, I, I looked and said, well, those CCP kits look great. And I was like, man, we are not going to be able to lose or sight of our other teammates on the Zwift teams, which is really great that uh, they're going to be very vibrant out on the road for us to follow their wheels so they do the work for us. Vibrant is, is, <laughs> vibrant is one word for it. Uh, well, listen, uh, huge Great, good luck from me. And, um, you know, everybody in the Zwift community, I'm sure, is going to be rooting for you. I'm, I'm going to try to come back to you midway through the race. Um, so uh, let's keep in touch. And I'd love to get a race report midway through and then try again to talk to you at the end. Good luck, dude. Uh, go hard. Thanks, Simon. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you midway through. Well, Zwift is a global platform and we're certainly getting our global miles in with this edition of the podcast. Uh, Nathan up there in Iceland. Shane has been over in Europe and is now back in Melbourne. Um, And let's talk about London, Shane, because the long-awaited, eagerly anticipated London extension was finally released a few days ago. Um impressions mate what do you think oh look the timing of that couldn't be any worse i was i think in the middle east when it actually dropped so i had to wait to get home so what was interesting for me i jumped on the bike as you saw my video the other week if you've uh, subscribed to my youtube channel i rode the course in real life and i took a camera around and i i really didn't know what i was looking at and just like okay there's harrods there's you know this street there's sloan street there's hut street whatever i went down and you know there's the blue bike lanes and i was just imagining what it would be like virtually well i got to ride it virtually in the same direction and i sort of did a side-by-side comparison ride and it was really really interesting to see what they got got right got wrong changed up they did get the blue bike lanes right and it is brilliant you sort of ride along and i was cutting the footage in and out of one of my videos and you couldn't really tell which was real and which was not it yeah they've done a really really good job of it yeah yeah although as some wags have pointed out uh, they've got the blue bike lanes right apart from all the broken glass and gravel and crap that, <laughs> <laughs> that accumulates in, in in bike lanes but i've got i mean of course the big new thing is is people you know is uh, human beings not on bicycles twirling umbrellas, chattering, uh, you know, talking to each other and stuff. Um, I mean, again, a long time coming coming to Zwift, but again, a very welcome addition, really. And I, I could see them doing a lot with spectators. Um, uh, I mean, th- these guys are just kind of pedestrians, but, 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 but the idea of crowds cheering you on as you, I don't know, get an UPB across a sprint or something... I think he's actually really, really appealing. And and John Mayfield, in um, a very interesting exchange in Swiftcast listeners, um, did talk about uh, the, the, the fact that this was very much a test, very, very early days, and, and they do, as long as it doesn't crush PCs worldwide, which it looks as though it's not doing, um, that, that they are going to develop this. And, and, and I think crowds doing more sporting things like applauding and uh, cheering you on as you accomplish something difficult, could, I mean, that could be genuinely motivational. 
Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, I was the first time I, I was riding along and the crowds were standing there cheering and waving to me. I started waving back just automatically because <laughs> I, I, I wave quite a bit off, like often on Zwift anyway. If people ride past and say, hi, Lama or GP Lama or, you know, g'day mate or something. This is another Australian. I'll wave. So I just instinctively kept waving to everyone, which was kind of funny because every person we've encountered, or sorry, every person we've encountered on the uh, on the island or on the street has been a real person. This is the first time there's a not real person there. But um, yeah, th- talking back to um, what you just said about the motivational side of things. Now, get rid of that blurry, shaky FTP thing that happens at the end of a workout. Get rid of that. You hate that. Oh, you? you hate that. That is. I, I don't know anybody <laughs> in the world who would say, "Hey, that's a good idea to make the screen look like you're going to throw up on yourself when you're feeling horrible." <laughs> But imagine if that – convert that, so get rid of that, control alt, delete that, and replace it with people who come out closer and closer to the road and start cheering you on. If you're at the end of an FTP test, they run out and start clapping, and you never know, you know, you have people pulling their pants down, mooning you, you know, doing the whole drunken, <laughs> drunken hoot thing. That would be motivational for me, well, to run away from those guys and ride even further, but you know, to pull flags out and uh, who knows, maybe even catch your handlebar on someone's handbag or jacket, you know, you might go flying off the bike. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to yeah. that. So, yeah, if they can engage the crowd, I think that would be – that would give me goosebumps if people were there cheering you on. It would feel really good. I, I mean, I did see that John categorically ruled out one idea. Well, it wasn't an idea, actually. It was a question that was posed um, in Zwiftcast listeners, uh, and strangely enough, by a friend of mine, actually, a, a clubmate. But he did say, um, uh, obviously half in jest, can we have a D-head in a mankini uh, running, <laughs> running alongside <laughs> us as we get to the top of the radio tower? And uh, John's response was fantastically succinct uh, and definite, and it was no. <laughs> so no man, no mankinis any time on Swift, which I, I have to say I'm very pleased about. I think we'll get our fair share of those in the Tour de France, which starts next week. So, yeah, we'll keep our eyes peeled for those. I'm sure there's uh, always one or two of those show up every stage. I was going to say every year, but it's really every stage. But uh, no, it's it's good. It's good. Those crowds just bring it to life as well, which is yeah, that's that's what we're after. Because sometimes you can feel a little lonely there, you know, by yourself on the bike, even with other riders around. But uh, no, I like the atmosphere. It's good atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, very welcome development. And and in fact, just while we're on interaction, um, in the, in the podcast this week as well, we've got um, a really interesting interview with uh, with the guy basically who's in charge of the draft. I mean, he does lots of other things as well. Um, but he did disclose that he's working on a means of uh, in the game of you being able to indicate displeasure to another rider. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but 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 in a way that would not impede the other riders' forward progress. So there's no kind of you know jamming a frame pump in the uh, in the wheel kind of thing. Um, but but they are looking at some means of of indicating displeasure. I you know and we're, we're kind of back in bike chucking territory here a little bit. I was going to uh, say the Ohio bike throw. Yeah, that's what we've called for, <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> in fact, Shane, we'll just pause at this point actually and play in the clip from Daniel Hewitt, who's a senior software engineer at Zwift. And this is what he said about the indicating displeasure thing. And we will have a full interview with him um, just in a few moments on the podcast. I've been trying to sneak in some something that is visual but doesn't affect other riders. That's kind of a way to show your displeasure. We, we have on the podcast previously talked about bike chucking, but I think yeah, it's, it's probably yeah. not that. <laughs> something, something that, you know, maybe a little uh, jab or a 
kick to, to knock the guy to the side, but doesn't actually affect his progress forward for us. Okay, this is sounding increasingly interesting. What would your pick, Shane, be for indicating displeasure? Whoa, it'd have to be one of those Italian gestures with the hand of the chin and the, or the you know, the... Yeah, it'd be something like that. I'm um, thinking Nasser Bawani, whatever he does when he gets angry or yeah, bashing the handlebars, maybe. Don't know. Yeah, Just I think we could, prob- we could we probably live without middle fingers. Could yeah, we? that'd be pretty, pretty much. Yeah, that'd be pretty much over the line. I think. Um, yeah, it'd just be the, the hand. You sort of, you know, the, the hey, what are you doing? You know, sort of that motion yeah, that I'm trying yeah. to show across the podcast, which isn't coming through quite right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, an interesting topic, and perhaps people could come on to Zwiftcast listeners or even your YouTube channel and give us some ideas for what would be a cute way of uh, indicating displeasure. It would be, uh, be nice to hear some of those ideas. Um, Shane, thanks very much indeed. We're going to check out now because I'm hoping to get back to Iceland to see how Nathan is getting on in this race um, from London, Melbourne and various points in between. Thanks very much. Thanks very much for this one, fella. And we'll catch up next time. No worries. Look forward to it, mate. I'm Simon Schofield. This is the Zwiftcast. Uh, well, by some kind of internet miracle, I'm joined, I think, on the dark side of Iceland, actually, by Nathan Guerra. Nathan, state position and status, please. The big one. Oh, we're not right next to a the glacier, big, actually. Big, 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 so we're on, like, the southeast side. The southeast side, we're heading, I think we're 250 miles or so out, or 500k, maybe a little less. So how long do you think you've got to go? Uh, I'm thinking somewhere around 12 hours, maybe a little less. Uh, to break the record big, I can see it in Biggie's eyes. <laughs> Quick update on how it rolled out. Uh, it was a controlled start, and then from there, it was like after the control opened up like mad. And uh, we hit some rollers that were a good two minutes to and at that point, uh, listeners, I'm afraid to say that the Icelandic gods of bandwidth started to frown deeply on us. Joe Bowers, and uh, we were able to follow all the moves and actually make split into five teams. From there, we whittled it down about... The dropouts were so bad that I won't inflict that upon you. But there was an interesting story developing in the race. Nathan was with the CCP team. Now, the CCP team, um, you probably won't know what CCP stands for, but they make the wildly successful game EVE Online. Zwift and CCP, as they did last year, had an alliance. So those two teams were working together, essentially against the rest of the field. And the tactic worked extremely well. At this point in the race, CCP and Zwift were well ahead of the field, 15, 20k by this point. Now now things get interesting, right? (laughs) Interesting indeed, because whilst there was an agreement to work together, there was no agreement on who would take the win. We're confident that uh, Zwift or CCP will get the win. Both teams were going extremely well with a really high pace, something just under 40k per hour or 25 miles per hour, which is um, a terrific pace in difficult conditions. And that was still with about 12 hours to go. So join me later in the podcast where we'll be talking to Nathan at the end of the race and we'll find out what happened. Okay, well, as regular listeners will know, we've been running a series of features based on interviews with key people who work behind the scenes at Swift 
in Long Beach in recent weeks, and this episode, we've got a particularly interesting one. This guy was one of the first people to join the company, and he's had a, a, a really important role because Daniel Hewitt is the guy who decides via lots of complicated code how riders in the game behave. He does lots of other things too, but I started off asking him for some background. I'm Daniel G. Hewitt. I'm a senior software engineer. I've um, been in the games industry for 30 plus years. I guess you could say like uh, rider dynamics, you know, the way that the bikes are controlled and moved around. That's kind of been my exclusive puppy for, you know, since day one. And, you know, that that is kind of the core of the game. And that's a really important thing to get right. I was hoping you were going to say that because <laughs> rider behavior is the thing oh, that yeah. perhaps distinguishes the game from absolutely anything else out on the market. Has it been tough to get right? <laughs> it's been a real tough nut to crack. I mean, I've done one iteration of it before, essentially, uh, way back when I worked at Electronic Arts. I worked on a, a game called Road Rash. And so I've already had experience doing a pass at that. But this is a much more difficult task in, in this case, because, you know, one of the things that we have to accommodate is literally thousands of people trying to synchronize all of the riders and get them to look correct around you and get them to ride you know around each other as they would naturally in the real world in like you know your typical peloton and i studied a lot of you know of footage of bicycle racing just to see how riders reacted how they rode with one another you want to try and get into the mind of the rider and try and figure out what it is that he's trying to do as a rider approaches another bike is his intention just to pass him does he want to tuck in behind and they let off the wattage a little bit you know as they're approaching you know that would be an indication that they want to tuck in and draft all kinds of little subtle things like that that you have to look at to try and try and get it to feel natural and it is subtle i mean anybody who has adjusted their position in a pack of riders in real life they might sit up in the wind a little bit they'll obviously take a little bit of pressure off the pedals and all these things to a cyclist become instinctive, but you've had to break all those down into physics processes, right. I guess. Right. How close do you think you've got it? <laughs> well, I don't think that's for me to judge, <laughs> but um, I think that, you know, it's and it's an ongoing effort to try and improve it and, and get it to be more responsive. And of course, we've had lots of feedback and sometimes it's been negative feedback. And, you know, if things aren't working the way that people expect them to work, you need to adjust that quickly. You know, we had a, a, a period where the game was essentially being too aggressive at tucking you in behind someone. The, the notorious sticky draft. <laughs> so you're familiar with that. Yeah, that was not fun to deal with the, some of that feedback. You know, we went through several iterations of, of tweaking that whole system. And, uh, you know, John and I, you know, talked about it for hours at, at, on end uh, over the over the, the course of, of the development. And, and, and I think that we're, I think that it's fairly well dialed in now, but of course it's always open for improvement. And, and suggestion and feedback. How frequently would you do a very significant overhaul of rider behavior? Um, I mean, right now, uh, we got it to a point where, um, you know, the CEO was happy with the rider dynamics. And that was a point where I just kind of, you know, wiped the sweat off and said, Phew, you know, I'm glad we're, get, we're there now. Um, and since is, that, is he demanding? You know, I, he's he's involved. 
um, I, you know, he's not demanding as much as he's very interested and involved in, you know, what's going on in the development and the features. I mean, he's come to me directly and made, you know, a suggestion here and there. And, uh, you know, but, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing effort to, you know, revisit it. And, and, and it's, it's less often and smaller tweaks as we get further along. What are you working on right now? What, right now, a couple of things. I'm working on a couple of bugs. Uh, I was working on the lineup code for, you know, to, to accommodate larger events. I'm also working on an asset management system, which will hopefully allow us to be a little more streamlined and yet have uh, larger worlds and more content uh, so we could you know it's a system that I'm creating for that that we could we could stream much larger more rich worlds and still have a small enough footprint to fit on a phone I, th I think the lighter riders would would never forgive me if I didn't ask you the man who knows the the direct question lighter riders frequently complain that they are wrongly penalized by the gay do you have a view on that you may or may not know but uh, you know like that weight of the rider on a flat makes uh, much less different than difference than other elements as you start getting into the higher speeds by far it's the frontal area that is the bigger penalty and we do a calculation um, in terms of frontal we, we do an estimation based on height and, and weight on, on to what the FA element of, of the physics calculation is and I'm sorry if I'm maybe getting a little no, bit no, too no, deep no, into no, the no. I mean I asked the question and, and you've given the answer so light riders um, you know I'm sorry you're just gonna have to suck it up it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's physics it's pretty much physics <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly right, and 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 we're not doing anything special. We're pretty much you know what you'd find published in a book. Um, as one of the early hires at, at Swift, you've seen the, the growth of the company and, and and what it's done for cycling, for virtual cycling, for indoor cycling. Did you think when you joined it would be as successful as it has been? Well, you never know, but I tell you what, when I first came to the Long Beach office and met with John and saw the initial, his initial implementation of like the core of the product, I was really jazzed and I was really excited about it. Despite being the type of person that's fairly conservative and doesn't necessarily want to get involved with, you know, a startup company, especially having a family, having kids, it was a difficult decision for me to make, but I really felt strongly that this was a, a, a totally untapped market that had huge potential. And I think that what we're seeing is that, you know, I was correct. And, and I'm, I'm certainly glad that, you know, I'm part of this and I'm, I'm really happy and, and proud of what we've been able to accomplish. And there's a lot more to come too. <laughs> Tell me a surprising thing. I've been trying to sneak in some something that is visual but doesn't affect other riders. That's kind of a way to show your displeasure. We, we have on the podcast previously talked about bike chucking, but I think yeah, it's, it's probably yeah. not that. <laughs> something something that you know maybe a little uh, jab or a kick to, to knock the guy to the side, but doesn't actually affect his progress forward for us. Okay, this is sounding increasingly interesting. Very interesting stuff. Daniel, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. This is the Swiftcast, the podcast for Swifters. More from Nathan in Iceland coming up very soon, and it's a really good interview. I'd strongly urge you to stick around to hear it. But first, let's talk Hill Repeats. 
Welcome back to the Zwiftcaster, Kevin Poulton, who's um, becoming our kind of regular coach, and has, uh, we're going to give him a, a slot on the podcast for uh, for the next few weeks to talk about all manner of things related to getting fitter, getting better on the bike, and general performance. Hi, Kevin. Hi, how are you going? Pretty good, thank you very much. One of the most, I was going to use the word popular, I'm not sure popular is the right word, but... One of the workouts that you see prescribed perhaps most often uh, both by pro coaches and and people just dispensing general advice to to cyclists is to go out and do hill repeats. Why are hill repeats so often recommended? If we were riding the ergo inside, we're getting the same conditions every time and we can repeat that each time. When we go to our favourite climb, regardless of the weather, it doesn't play a big part in your performance. It's the same gradient. The wind doesn't have as much effect. And so you can repeat the effort and get, engage how you're performing on it. Hill repeats, of course, you can do within Swift, but, but a lot of people will do them outside as well. Go to your favourite hill that takes, I don't know, somewhere between five and ten minutes maybe to climb and do that three or four times you see that recommended a lot is that an effective a really effective workout and 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 why does it work uh there's a lot of little sort of hidden secrets that people don't think about when they're climbing Uh, the main thing is that it forces the athlete to change their cadence and when we change our cadence on a climb we're increasing crank torque so the bigger the gear, the higher the power, the slower your pedal, it changes the crank torque. And when you change crank torque, it means that you're recruiting different muscle fibres and that's where the training effect is coming from. I probably ride more on the flat than I ought to and less on the climbs than I ought to. Is that a real danger um, and does is the result of that that your fitness can kind of plateau? Regardless of the kind of cyclist that you are and what your strengths and weaknesses are, everyone's going to benefit from climbing in some capacity. But I think one of the reasons why people don't enjoy climbing is they haven't got the correct gearing for it. So for a rider to climb comfortably, they need to be able to achieve a cadence of 75 or more uh, on the steeper sections. And if they can't do that with the gearing they have, then they're not going to enjoy it. If we don't enjoy the climb in the first place because we haven't got the appropriate gear, then we're not going to be inclined to go back and, and tackle that climb. So if you're going to concentrate on one thing and one thing only as you're heaving yourself up hills on a repeated basis, would you recommend that thing to be cadence? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely cadence. Um, now, there used to be the, the phrase that a what is a what, no matter where you are. But if we really dig deep into it, a watt can be produced in different ways. Uh, so 300 watts on a climb at a cadence of 60 is much different to 300 watts on the flats at a cadence of 100. And, and the difference there is that is the contractile force of the muscle fibres, and that's where the training effect comes from. So uh, if you're not incorporating some kind of hill climbing into your training you're missing out on training certain muscle fibers which are also going to benefit you on the flat as well what would be a good session let's say i've got a a hill nice hill near me or or we could pick one of the hills in in swift and we're going to be climbing for let's say six to eight minutes how often should you repeat that effort and what kind of recovery period would you put between between efforts 
Um, I'd be aiming to complete about 20 minutes of work on the climb, uh, and I'd be looking at doing either VO2-style efforts where you're performing um, five- to seven-minute intervals. And if you're doing VO2-style efforts on a climb, then the rest period would be the same as the work period. So, for example, if I was doing a six-minute climb at VO2, I would also have a six-minute rest period in between those efforts. Uh, I would do enough to accumulate about 20 minutes. So if, if your climb allowed you to go for uh, seven minutes, then I would suggest doing three of those efforts. Uh, if the climb was only five minutes, then you'd be doing four of those efforts. Is there a way to get similar fitness benefits by do by climbing for a slightly longer period at a slightly less intense effort level? Yeah, yeah. So if we're doing um, our sort of sub-threshold efforts, then we need to extend the work period. So ideally, if you could get above 10 minutes, up to 20 minutes, uh, just below threshold. But Generally, as the effort decreases, so if we're doing a sub-threshold effort, then also the recovery period decreases as well. So, for example, if you were lucky enough to have a 20-minute climb nearby and if you were doing two repeats of that, you would only need five minutes recovery in between those efforts. Right. So looking at, say, the Zwift Mountain, which a lot of people will be able to get up in something like 20 minutes, that is 20 minutes going up at, 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 at under threshold, but not much not much under threshold. Spin back down, then do it again, and that would count as a good session. Yeah, simple as that. Normally the descent would be enough of a recovery. It is effective, isn't it, for getting fitter? There's, there, there's kind of you, you, you can't and shouldn't avoid climbing, should you? Yeah, look, even the best sprinters in the world train on climbs quite a lot as well, and that comes back to what we spoke about, about the... Um, the contractile force of the muscle fibres. So now the sprinters are getting a benefit, the climbers are getting a benefit, and it all comes back to having the appropriate gearing to get the best out of the session that you're trying to complete. Excellent. Terrific advice, Kevin. Thank you very much indeed for uh, filling us in on some of those really good tips. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Right on. Come in Iceland and one very tired but victorious Nathan Gary, yo dude. Hey Simon, how's it going? Uh, well, I guess I'm somewhat less fatigued than you are. Um, we were just arranging this interview as we uh, often do over Messenger and I'm just going to quote your message because I think it sums it up. I've been up for 50 hours with 11 FTP tests and one hardest ever team time trial all in freezing rain. <laughs> but but you won. I mean, you, let's 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 deal with the win first. You you won the race in 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 a record time with the CCP team. I mean, massive congratulations! It looked like a huge effort. Yeah, it was it was a huge effort. That's for sure. I have to uh, say that we definitely congratulated and clapped for as they crossed the line just a little ways behind us as a team because it was a joint effort to get there in that amount of time we were each paired with a Zwift team member essentially um, working together with them the whole way until the gloves came off. So when wh- wh- when did the alliance with agreements as you've just explained when did the alliance cease and when did the full-on race start and let's just let's just remind people that this is after 
you know, something like 850 miles circumnavigating a very cold island quite near the North Pole. We're at 1,100 together around all of Iceland, uh, working together. And, uh, and then it starts getting closer, and I was of the opinion, once we're going to race each other, then we just let, let's, um, let's take as most chances that we can to try and make the win if we're going to go for the win. There's lots of discussions and on and on, and uh, eventually the agreement came to uh, with one hour to go or around one hour or, or around 50K, essentially, the gloves come off is what we're, what we're shooting for. So so we, we said 6 a.m., uh, Iceland time, let's go. That was what we said. And so it was kind of funny. We uh, Everything changed from that moment forward, that's for sure. There was a lot more tension about bike swaps and leading up to those moments. We're counting down the minutes. And, and then after 6 o'clock, everybody almost, like, got out of the car and, like, looked at each other, like, who's going to send who out when and what. You know, it was like, and we joked with each other, like, oh, well, it was good you know, fun while it lasted, you know, or whatever. And because we have been partnered with these guys for so long. I mean, you've been suffering with them for, for two days, you know what I mean? Two and a half days straight. I mean. And what part did you play, Nathan, in the final 50K? You, you presumably, you did a shift. Uh, so in the final, so I had done a lot of softening. So I was kind of a major workhorse on the climbs and was realizing maybe, being one of the strongest climbers for sure amongst all the groups. And so about amongst the groups, uh, two groups. And so, um, you know, I was testing legs all the way through anytime it was time for climbing. Playing last 50 K though, I essentially was trying to launch the national champion, uh, Ingvar, uh, off the front from the rest. The initial plan was that Ingvar would go and just go right from the gun with, uh, one of our bigger rulers, Mike, uh, was supposed to come on through and uh, maybe launch him off very quickly. But since everyone got out of the cars immediately, you know, everyone's on. And so obviously it's like, okay, we can't just launch him. And so from that point, I became the instigator in the group to uh, make space within their fitness levels, you know, and soften the group up for Ingvar then to launch away from everyone and it worked out fairly well i went a couple of times and then uh into a direct headwind uphill probably six percent seven percent um and then um uh did that a couple of times moved my way to the back they were all kind of watching me and at that moment Ingvar launched immediately had i'd say 50 meters maybe more i mean it was, it was good right away because obviously it was a goal gap and then my job from there was to harass the chase. So I just kept on filling the gap on the lead guy and then letting him get away <laughs> so that everyone else would have to chase from the team of the Zwift team. And I just kept on filling the, the gap on the, on the man up front so that, uh, and then letting him go. So he was riding away solo into a headwind. We've just, we've just raced 1,340 kilometers and it's down to the last 10 K and they're right there chasing us down and everyone's screaming, about holding the line or pulling through correctly or whatever it is to keep the speed as possibly can. The bus is going back and forth, picking up drop riders, giving them enough rest that they get up back up to the front and then dropping them so that they get picked up at least to a pull somewhere. I mean, it was craziness. It was absolutely nuts. And, um, God, it really, it sounds it. I mean, the, the, the gap in the end over the Zwift team, I, I, it was a cu- couple of minutes, I think, in the end, wasn't it? 
it might have been. I, I'd have to take a look. Um, I think it was maybe a minute or two at the end. Yeah, maybe. But 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 obviously uh, fiercely contested right right through the last the last kilometers. Completely, completely fiercely contested. I mean, it was it was game on, and I think if it wouldn't have been for a little bit of disorganization, it wouldn't. It it it, it could have been a totally different different result there. Strong guys within both groups, but then we had the national champion. You know what I mean. And then my 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 climbing ability was shining a little bit. I don't want to I don't want to too much, but I was able to uh, do a climb with a meal that did open up the gap a little bit more in that last 10k as well, where Ingra was was resting. So. And have you seen the Zwift guys since the finish? Are they are they, are they cut up about this? It was a little half and half. It was a little half and half at first, right? So. And we clapped for them coming across the line. We gave uh, gave them hugs, and and it was, I mean it was it was it was a shared moment for sure. We would not have done this without them, in any way whatsoever. It's like we did it together, but we won. Like it's kind of how they're saying. And we're I mean that's I mean yes, but we did this together. You know I mean it's a huge accomplishment together, and. Um, you know, at first there was a little bit of talk, you know, to, uh, maybe this could be, and, and then we all went and had an awesome breakfast together, like, and sat down and shared stories and laughed. And even if there were some disagreements or anything that's a little bit of rubbed us the wrong way, at the same time, we all suffered together to get this great accomplishment done. And, and that's actually a much bigger picture that overshadowed any of that stuff for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the sport in the end always always wins out, doesn't it? Or, or it should do, and it sounds like it has done. I mean, that, that summary that you gave me, 11 FTP tests, 50 hours with no sleep, and the hardest ever team time trial in my life, all in freezing rain. Is that, I mean, did, <laughs> did that basically sum it up? Was it, that, is it the <laughs> hardest thing you've ever done? It's one of the most epic things I've ever done while being really hard. You have to want this and you have to keep pushing through and you're, you're doing this for the team and the team building experience of it. And, um, and like how the race plays out over time, it's just such a different animal. It's so hard to place even. Yes, it was extremely hard though. I mean, I'm getting out of a car after 24 hours of already racing essentially with the emotional, mental, and physical stress of it all that comes with this continual watching where everyone's at and are they chasing, how are they closing the gap, how hard do we got to go, are we managing our resources correctly, and then while all that's going on, I'm facing down a glacier with a headwind coming off of it of 30 miles per hour and a little bit of rain with my my um, <clears throat> compatriot, Joe Bauer, who's on the Zwift team, and we got to throw down 350 on the front every time. So yeah, I mean, uh, it was difficult. It was definitely very difficult. It, and difficult, <laughs> difficult. That, that's a that, that's a fantastic understatement. The weather is uh, the most unpredictable weather ever. You, you just wait a few minutes, it'll change, essentially. And and when you say they say that in some places, but this is like, hey, right now it's uh, uh, you know. And everyone was talking to me in Celsius, so I'll just speak in Celsius because it's coming second nature now. <laughs> but, you know, right now it's 12 degrees and sunny, and now it's your turn to go out. So they had that, and now it's zero degrees and raining. You know what I mean? Like, and it, and it changed that quickly. Like, seriously. Um, the nice thing, the sun never went down. It was almost, we never did have to use a light once. That was kind of cool. So. 
Nathan, I I can tell you're tired. I mean, and and you know why wouldn't you know? No, 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 no. no. What I was going to say was, you know, well, number one, why would why wouldn't you be? I know you've got other people to talk to, and I know you've got other channels to serve. So I'm I'm going to let you go. But just just for me and and the Swiftcast, and I'm sure actually everybody who listens to this and everybody who has any association with you and everything that you do, fantastic congratulations, massive well done, and uh, what a great victory. Great work, fella. Great work. Thanks, Simon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Right on. The Zwiftcast is proud to be an official community partner of Zwift. So what does that mean to you as a listener? It means that while Zwift provides support for us to try to make the highest quality content we can, they also guarantee our editorial independence which basically means they don't interfere with what we say or how we say it. Thanks to Zwift for that, and thank you for listening. See you next time.